Hi, my name's Bree, and I have no idea what I'm doing, but I have a lot of questions. Who are you people? No, really, who are you? That's a great question, Bree. That's like a crazy loaded question. Ooh, that is a great question. It's an interesting question. That's probably a really good question. Ooh, that's an excellent question, Miss Bree. Oh, that's a deep question. It's a good question. <laughs> it's like, what is the meaning of life? Fuck if I know. Any more questions? Oh, yeah, Bri? I have a lot of that. I've never been asked that question before. Does anyone really know? Well, I'm here to find out. I'm Bree, and this is the Bree Search Project. Welcome. You would recognize today's guests from Kids Incorporated, Six Feet Under, The O.C., Charmed, or any number of other high school dick roles, his words, not mine, that he's played over the years. Eric Balfour is an actor slash director slash entrepreneur slash my friend who is now enjoying his newest role as a dad. Enjoy getting to know the softer side of my friend, Eric Balfour. Welcome, everyone. My guest today is uh, wildly talented equally interesting and has had a diverse career spanning many years and genres of the entertainment industry. He and I have been through um, some harrowing experiences together uh, and either because of or in spite of those harrowing experiences, he remains one of my favorite people. I am so happy to welcome my dear friend, Eric Balfour. Wow. Wow. Thank you. That was such a, uh, a lovely introduction. I actually was concerned that you thought you were recording somebody else when you said wildly talented. <laughs> I was like, oh shit, you think this, she must oh. be somebody else for today. Yeah, that's um, why I scheduled tomorrow. Sorry. Yeah, no. I mean, there's this guy. Um, Eric. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, that guy. Um, wolf, man. I, you know, I, it's so funny. Um, I feel like, I don't know about you, so you, you mentioned these harrowing experiences that we went through. <laughs> um, you know, the, the, obviously the, the biggest one, which I'm not going to say the name mm-hmm. because the producers of that, of that movie that I'm not going to mention are, um, trigger happy and like to threaten to sue people. Sue um, everyone. Yeah. Sue everybody. Um, but basically, um, we haven't, I haven't really gotten to talk to anybody about it at all. Um, not me neither. Because, you know, it just got so crazy. So, um, can I can I kind of tell the the story a little? Please. So I got hired to direct a movie, and I didn't really know the producers or the people involved. Um, and magically, Bree, who I had done this other project with as an actor, happened mm-hmm. to be the UPM on this movie, and I was so excited. I was like, "Oh my god, this is going to be amazing!" And we were. I I think you equally were so excited. It was going to be so fun. Well, it turns out. Oh yeah. The the writer and the star of the movie, who is one and the same, and one of the producers is batshit crazy. The other producers were, except for the ones who got fired and we no longer had access to, were batshit crazy. Um, and the financiers, who were the writer, actor, producers, buddy, buddies, were batshit uh-huh. crazy. So there we were um, with just the most insane – I mean, honestly, like not good people. It felt like in a lot of yeah. ways, and so it was wild. And and I still, I still look back on it, um, with 
the fondest memories because besides them, <laughs> it was the most – I actually had the best fucking time directing them. Yes. I, I still – like I still look at the videos of like 2 o'clock in the morning out at that weird place <laughs> in Simi Valley and we're like laughing. DJing and, and yeah. And dancing and like there were elements that were so fun and, and so great. So and all in all, I'm like I'm still happy it happened. But it was it was really hard. Um, when we finished the movie and we got into the editing room and basically because the writer, actor, producer had no ability to like collaborate or let go, basically right. separate put, himself yeah, from they, any of those and, titles. And, and the producers had no ability to control him. They basically pushed me out and I didn't get to finish editing the movie I directed. Um, right. And then not that long ago, I, I, and actually before quarantine, I was like, that must, people probably like, oh, you must have done it during quarantine because what else do you watch? I finally did watch the movie. I don't. Did you ever watch it? I've never seen it. No. So I actually finally did watch it, and and it was interesting because there was they did some additional photography afterwards. I heard they just kept amazingly. They just kept spending money <laughs> and just spending right. money. Like, oh my god! I wish they had been willing to give that money to to me to use towards. I know the movie. if if we had had the original budget that that oh movie ended god. up costing at the beginning, it would have been a completely different oh, experience. Yeah. We wouldn't have been we wouldn't have been having to defend the fact that the golf courses they wanted weren't really golf courses because we're like exactly we can't afford a golf course. What do you want us to yeah. do? You gave us eight dollars, like. <laughs> um, but uh, but but I so I watched it and it was hard on one hand because well let me start with the good. They actually some of the additional footage they got was good. They did a bunch of VFX towards the end of the movie that really I mean I will say helped a lot. Um, some really great stuff. And there were even, sadly, some of the things that I cut of, cut out of the movie in my cut that they put back in. There was even a couple of those that I was like, oh, you know what? That kind of did work. Yeah. Um, but then there were other things where um, – just a note to filmmakers and writers. If your voiceover is literally describing what the person in the scene is doing – <laughs> you don't need that voiceover. That part unnecessary. Was, that part was painful because the movie starts and literally the dude's voice, who is the bane of my existence, mm. didn't stop for an hour and a half. Oh it, like just God. with wall to wall talking. And then yeah, they put in a lot of stuff that I was like, that didn't work. We didn't need that. Doesn't move the story along. Why did you do that? And you know, structurally there were things that they, you know, just wouldn't acquiesce so it's that. basically just like an audiobook of him like reading the script and then people acting it out on Primarily, screen yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so but then there were other things that i saw and i saw shots that our dp you know put together that were gorgeous and mm -hmm. you know things that i know we did on this little baby budget that were so cool and fun and things that i was like ah and so there was it was a, it was a it was a really it was kind of a cathartic experience and it was an interesting experience because I was in, I was far enough removed from like being just angry at these people. Right, um, right, right. Yeah, you, you know, needed that, that like time away. That I was like I could actually like watch and be like, you know, it wasn't so bad. It could have been a lot better, but it wasn't so bad. And I yeah. think like, I also think it's hard for for us and for you to have any kind of perspective when you know what you got. Like you know what could have been and you know that like I know that there were other options. It's hard to not want to piece them in in your brain. Yeah, 100%. So Anyway, so that's how Brie and I – that's how you and I got here. Um, yes. And, uh, and and hopefully we will do it again. Yes. 
hopefully in much better scenarios. I But I agree. The fact that like I always kind of start with like how did our paths cross? What are the things in common? Like what brought us together? And the couple projects that we've worked on were some of the like most difficult projects that I've ever worked on. <laughs> and it's a huge testament to my experience with you that like I still, like you were saying, I still have positive vibes, positive feelings and like happy memories surrounding even what was a really tough experience surrounding you and surrounding our friendship and surrounding, you know, like when I think back on it, I'm like, oh man, that was really tough. But Eric and I had some really good times. And like your contact picture in my phone is you like hanging through a window stuck somewhere like out in the desert shooting one day. And I was like, we just had a good time. And and I think that I immediately remember bonding with you over like an authenticity that I got from you. And then I think you appreciated the same thing in me that I was like, I can be real and honest with you. And I want you to do the same with me. And I immediately like cling on to that kind of realness. And I think we both had an excitement for the work that we wanted it to be as good as possible, you know, like, yeah. a passion in in a way yeah. and regardless of all the other shit that was <laughs> shit that was going on that we were dealing with I always came back to the authenticity and the excitement and the good times about like what we were trying to do so I had more confidence in you than I had in the rest of the the process a lot of the times <laughs> which was yeah and, and, I mean look it was I, I still yeah I, I just I agree like and I still like I just when people ask, like, "Oh, you must be so bummed that they didn't—they took your movie away from you, or this or that," I'm just like, "Yeah, I mean, I'm bummed at all that, but we had so much fucking fun. I mean, at the end of the day, like, we were—we yeah. had so much fucking fun. It was a blast, and all we of did. the actors we got were so fun, and like, some of them were just bizarre and weird, and they were great. And um, I just like, I—I I loved all of that. And then, and I mean, there was—I I remember there was a couple days. There was one day I just remember talking, like starting the day and we were talking to the crew and I, I remember getting like almost choked up. Mm-hmm. I so I was so overwhelmed by all these people who were just busting their asses for us mm-hmm. and it was so cool. So yeah. We're lucky in the fact that we were working with some really good people who appreciated that, you know, and that goes a long way with a crew who's out there in the desert for like hours and hours and hours every day and they're pushing themselves and then I think we really made a a fam of the people that were like the right team it influenced like that job influenced how I chose to like proceed with my career after that being happy on sets and being happy at work and being happy with the people you work with is what you're going to take home every night and that to me was was something that I was like I don't want to concede any longer to being not happy with the work that I do. Yeah. So. Well, you know, and I think it's like, it's it, like if this whole thing has taught us, and I mean, I'm sure it won't have taught several people anything, but um, <laughs> if it has taught us some things, I mean, like it's time for us to get, especially in our industry, to get our perspective straight. Like mm-hmm. it's totally cool to be passionate about what you do and be passionate about your art. And at the same time, if you're a director or an actor or a producer or whatever, and you're angry and attitude-y and, and, and a pain in the ass in, in general, it's mm-hmm. just totally unacceptable. Like we're not, we're not doing anything important. It's, it's right. entertainment and it's great. And it can be like 
it can change the world in many positive ways. You know, if you are, you know, making blackfish and exposing, you know, uh, uh, right. world for torturing orcas, or if you're making Hotel Rwanda and mm-hmm. teaching people about the genocide there, like there's okay, there's a couple of, you know, um, exceptions, but generally we're, we're kids making, playing pretend. And like yeah. at a certain point when you hear the stories of, you know, all of the bad, it's like you got to start to learn like this should just be fun. We, you won the lottery if you get to do this job. Yeah. Like that's it. Yep. That's all there is to it. I agree. So I usually start the whole interview process by like asking guests to imagine they're in the most comfortable place, having a chat, you know, fireside. Where are we? What are we drinking? I know you're not a big drinker. So, and I can't drink yerba mate this late at night. So I have hot tea that I'm drinking for you. Well, so I am, I actually literally, I'm sitting out on my patio with the fire pit going, so I am by the fire. Lovely. Uh, I am drinking because I, I, you're right. I don't really drink, but I have a root beer because I love uh-huh. root beer. So yeah, I'm ready to go. Nice. Okay, so um, I love that we've covered most of that. I like talking about how how people come together. Um, but my biggest question, and the one I start with everyone, is who are you? Fuck if I know. <laughs> nice. Uh, who who am I? Um, uh, well, here, here's who I'm not. Okay. I am not someone who's, who is comfortable referring to myself in the third person. Okay. Um, anytime I hear someone do that, um, it literally make, vom- makes me want to vomit in my mouth a little bit. <laughs> um, but, uh, who am I? I, I don't know. Honestly, I, in so many ways, I'm still trying to figure that out. I, I am... I am someone who I want to I want to do good things in the world. Good. I find that I'm 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 more happy and more fulfilled in and in some ways even from a selfish standpoint. But I I realize now that there are people who their the the selfish part of their self gratification comes from many different things and and some people want to be known for being really rich or being really fancy or having a very mm-hmm. certain type of car or house or lips or look. And what I get off on is I love the idea not only of making the world better for my son who will one day you know, live in it, but also I do – I like the idea of – of being known for for helping do good things, whether that be the ocean or the environment, or um, you know, I think I, I now as I have a child, I find myself wanting to do things to help children more, um, whether it be music school programs or um, food, you know, making sure kids are fed. Mm-hmm. Um, but I get off on like I, I was like, well, doesn't it, I mean, come on, everybody gets off on. Yeah. Being known as uh, as 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 a saint or something, right? Doesn't everyone get off on that? And actually, it turns out, I, I no, no, some people are like, I don't really care if I'm known for right. being good. I want to be known for having a really good style and good <laughs> haircut. And I'm like, oh, okay, oh well, yeah, I guess I never thought about that way. So, um, I think I'm I'm hoping that's who I am. I hope that's who I am. Um, I find. That who I think I am is often different than 
who other people think I am. Yeah. Um, good and bad. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm often, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I'm often surprised by the view that people, other people have of me. So who I am, I don't know, man. I'm, I'm still trying to figure that out. Um, I love it. I love That's true. I, and I, 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 I do know one of the things that I now know who I am. I am a, I am a dad. Yes. I love being a dad. Um, I love the identity that, that I've been able to, um, uh, embody in, in now being a father. It's a really, it's such a cool, like as an accessory, it's such a good accessory. Um, it's better (laughs) than, it's better than any puppy, um, or fame or car. Right. Dad swag. (laughs) <laughs> really cool. Uh, well, you were already like flexing on husband swag as it was, and now I feel like you just got like the upgrade. <laughs> I'm a, I think I'm a better dad than husband. My, my, <laughs> my, my I don't know. Husband. You were you were pretty much crushing that before, and now you're just like, oh, next level. Yeah, I I I, I think she might beg to differ. <laughs> um, but yeah, I love I do love being a dad, and I think part of that's um, I had a strange relationship with my own dad. Um, it's actually gotten better recently, interestingly enough. Um, and I, I, I didn't talk to my dad for like 20 years. Um, yeah. and he's been coming around a little bit more and I, I'm enjoying getting not in, like part of me, I think maybe was rubbing it in <laughs> mm-hmm. a little few times. I was like, see, look at what a good dad I am. Yeah. I love my son and I kiss him and I hug him. Yeah. And now I'm just like, oh, I actually just hope he's enjoying seeing me be a good dad um, who has a son who's happy and flourishing. Well, and that's something I wanted to talk about. You had a very interesting and unique uh, time growing up, both, you know, culturally and family-wise. And tell me about where you're from and how it was different from – and I also think that has a lot to do with, like – because when I first met you, I'm not sure what my perception was, but when I learned all these things about, like – you know, the, the stuff that you're into and how you grew up and kind of like your values that it completely changed my perception. So talk about that for a second. Yeah. Well, so, you know, I grew up here in Southern California. Um, my parents also grew up here in Southern California. My grandparents grew up in East LA in Boyle Heights. And, um, I was raised with this, you know, sort of, um, reformed Jewish hippie mother and a father who was raised around Native American ceremonies and, you know, uh, as legend goes, um, was running drugs for the Manson family before he knew, you know, who they were. Um, They were just, you know, cute girls and and drugs. It was pretty okay until the bad stuff started happening. But um, so we grew up in this very, on one hand, progressive, liberal, very funky, hippie community. Um, my dad was not prepared to be a father. He didn't really want to be a father, I don't think, at the time. Mm-hmm. I haven't asked him that again in a long time. But I, I don't – the way it's been explained to me, and I I, I mean he, he, he said it often enough, um, he didn't want to be a dad <laughs> at right. the time. Um, and, I, and I to be fair to him, I think that viewpoint has certainly changed now. I think he's enjoying having a son and a grandson and, and – and a, and a, and a daughter. Um, but growing up was, was hard in that regard with him. Cause he didn't know how to, you know, 
vocalize that or control it. So it kind of came out as rage and anger and abuse. And, um, mm-hmm. but I was lucky in other ways. I had these grandparents who I was primarily raised by and lived with. Um, and then, yeah, at like 15 years old, I, I kind of couldn't take, um, being in the same house with my dad. And so I, I left and I spent, uh, several, several months, almost that entire year living on the streets in Hollywood, um, being kind of a dipshit, thinking it was cool to be homeless and a runaway on the streets, <laughs> which let's, to be totally frank and fair to the situation, I could have gone to my grandparents' house who lived in Burbank, who loved me. Right, um, right. Loved me. I, I was not, I was not, you know, as downtrodden or as um, desolate as a lot of these kids who were out there who had nowhere to go. I had right. plenty of places to go. Um, I was just, I, I, that, it's part of, you know, I think it's, it's, it's an interesting lesson about self-damage. I can't think yeah. of the word um, I'm looking for. Um, there's a better word than self-damage. But, um, you know, when, you're, when, you're, when you feel bad about yourself, you think you deserve bad things to happen. Yeah. Yeah. So when you're angry at your life and you're angry and you feel hurt, you do things to hurt yourself. So for me, it was like living on the streets was like, oh, see, I deserve to be here. And, and, and right. Like this is where I belong. This is. Yeah. yeah. And so I, so through that, I, I magically that same year got approached by these guys who said they were television producers and I were sure were just giant pedophiles. Right. Um, and it turns out they weren't. Um, <laughs> they were the producers of a Disney channel show <laughs> called, called kids incorporated. And that became my first acting job. And slowly but surely, I started building a career over the next few years. And um, it was very, very slow, the progression, because I did that show. I didn't have an agent or a manager or anything like that. And I was living, you know, basically on my own. And then I was living at at an apartment with friends. And then I was living at a girlfriend's house who was also an actress and lived with her mother. And it was kind of a a wild situation there. And so I, it wasn't until the next year, because I basically shot the television show for the Disney channel and after three months of shooting, I was like, all right, I'm going to go back to my life, I guess. Um, but then, <laughs> like nine months later, they were like, hey, we're going to do another season. And I got approached by a manager of one of the other kids on the show who said, well, I think you should go audition for this other thing, this pilot for ABC. And I happened to get this pilot. So then I did that. And then all of a sudden, over the next, I would say it was basically the next four years, up until I was about 19, um, I started working a little bit. I was still very much in this I was I was really weird looking. Like <laughs> weird looking now, but at least now it's kind of morphed into like this um, you know, weird looking like the way that uh um Benicio del Toro or right. or you've uh, grown into yeah. your features. Yeah. yeah, like it's kind of like cool weird. Um right. whereas as when I was 16, I was just sort of awkward and had, you know, this giant nose and uh, this long face and it was too scary. I was like, but you're, you're very tall. Were you that tall? Like even teenagers, I imagine you like sprouted up. Yeah. I sprouted up. And, and so, and I didn't know what to do with my hair and it was this giant, like big thing on top of my head. And, um, so, so those first few years, like the roles I was getting were always kind of like these, I was either getting these awkward kid roles or like kind of just like the high school dick role because <laughs> I, I didn't have this like um, sort of, you know, sweet all American looking face. I had this very, right. um, you know, kind of ethnic multiracial face with a big nose and a da da. And, and so um, it wasn't 
it wasn't like all of a sudden I was a working actor. I was still trying to figure it out. And, but I, I, by the time I was about, uh, I, I, by the time I was about 20, I was certain 1920. I was like, this is what I want to do. I was, had been studying with an acting coach named John Homa, who I really loved. Um, and was slowly but surely, you know, figuring out how I wanted to make this a career, but it still wasn't paying enough. And then at 25, um, I was now, the next few years, I sort of worked enough just to sort of, you know, like, okay, I can make a living for a 20 year old. I mean, I was making more money than you would, you know, maybe working at a, you know, a bar or something like that. Right. right. Um, maybe (laughs) actually, maybe not. (laughs) Um, but, um, I was surviving at it. And then, um, as I, as I finally started coming into my own as an, as a more of an adult, I got, um, six feet under and then from six feet under that's sort of, I would say where my career started becoming a real career. And fortunately, um, I've continued to, 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 to keep doing it (laughs) until until coronavirus finally, until (laughs) now, yeah. Um, I mean, do you think that being an actor for a lot of like your teenage formative years, like limited your personal development or enhanced it? No. So, so interestingly, I was, I was, I would say maybe a little different than there. I know other guys like me and other girl, other women like me who had a similar trajectory where they were sort of doing it, but it wasn't all encompassing. Right. Because by the, even from the time I was 15 until honestly 25 almost 24, 25, I, I was doing it and it was making a living, but I wasn't really famous. Um, it wasn't a full time thing really. So I had, well, it's not like you were like a produced child star that was like out there doing it all the time. Yeah. I didn't really have like a stage mom and it wasn't that whole thing. Like, um, I, you know, look, my teenage years were spent, you know, going to a lot of parties I shouldn't have been at. (laughs) <laughs> getting in a lot of trouble, um, hanging around people I shouldn't have. And, and it was pretty, you know, like, except for the sort of strange LA experience of it all, having nothing really to do with the entertainment industry, just the, this, the oddity of Los Angeles. Um, I, I was a pretty normal kid. So no, I didn't really have that thing. Like where I, I knew those kids who like grew up as actors and sadly, you know, some of them were really close friends of mine. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, I don't mind talking about it, but you know, like a, a buddy of mine named Jonathan Brandis, who was a child actor, a very, very famous child actor. He had movies that were built around him, mm-hmm. a star, he had his own television shows. And at 18, 19, he was no longer that cute little boy, sort of the, the competition around him, you know, rose up to his level. There was more people competing against him. And it was hard, and and subsequently, that shift and change um, led him to commit suicide. Um, and I think there were other factors, you know, um, yeah. going on in him in, in, in him personally. But I do believe a big part of that had to do with the way that this industry um, can break your soul. I think it's a really, I think it's something that people don't talk about enough. Yeah. Um. But uh, it it it. it, it it is such a strange thing because you go to these, you know, as an actor, you go and, very, you know, there are 
there are very few of us, and even myself, you know, sometimes, yeah, you get offers for things, and but a lot of things, especially today, they want you, they want you to audition. I think part of it's an ego thing. Yeah. They don't care if they know your work. It's just, you know, they've now reached that point of they're in a position of power and they want people to audition. Mm -hmm. um, but you go in and, and you're being judged by not just your talent. Are you tall enough? Are you too tall? Are you the right colored hair? Do you look like right. the other cast? Are you different enough? Are you this? Are you that? And so you're, you're constantly, you are inviting, you are inviting scrutiny. Mm -hmm. And you're inviting scrutiny not based on your work ethic or your commitment or your tenacity. You're, you're inviting scrutiny based on things that are- That you can't control. That you generally can't control. Yep. So- I know it. Like people ask me, like people look at my son who I, I agree is the just the cutest fucking thing I've ever seen. Like, oh my God, you should let him model. I hope you should let him get into acting. And I'm like, never. Yeah. I will never. Because I think it is, you know, I think it is such a dangerous industry in that regard that if you're not careful and it's done it, don't get me wrong. I'm not sitting here as someone who came out the other side. It's done it to me. Yeah. I mean, it does it to me all the time. Every time I and a, a series that I'm on ends or a movie ends, I'm sure that was the last time I'll ever work again. Yeah. And I know lots of people who all, we all think the same thing and, and it's not, it's not mass hysteria. It's because of what this industry does to you. You know, it's not like any other, almost any other job, even in our industry, you know, there's a certain level of if you work hard, you pay your dues, you rise up, the, you know, you, you climb the ladder you reach, you know, if you, it's like, like, a, like even being a doctor, if you want to be a doctor, you, if you go to school, mm -hmm. you take your tests, you get your license, you do your residency, you, and you will become a doctor. Are you the most famous doctor? Are you the high, most high paid doctor? No, you may not be, but you will be a doctor and you will have a career as a doctor. Right, and no one's going to tell you to cut your hair or look a certain way or that your eye yeah. color is wrong because yeah, but, you're but the wrong kind of doctor. Yeah. yeah, but that's the challenge. Is as an actor, you you at one sometime some point, people may, may just be like, "Yeah, you no longer have a career as an actor." So that was why, for me, over the last you know several years, I started thinking more and more about how to make sure that I create um, a career for myself. That was that was at least less dependent on other mm -hmm. people, giving me permission to have my my career. Absolutely. Hence why I wanted to start directing and writing and producing and um and not to say that those those jobs are any easier. I, I guess my my calculation was simply a I I really do enjoy what we do in in terms of making stories and telling stories, mm -hmm. but also at least if I had four or five different <laughs> Job, yeah. At least I might increase my odds of being able to do one of them at any given time. Oh, no, um, that's true. That's true. So that was that was the, that was the thought process there. So I have two questions um, that you kind of touched on both of them. One, uh, what's something that you wish people understood about the entertainment industry, either either as an actor or yeah, yeah. Well, I, I think yeah, I did touch on one of them the negative side and the other thing that i think people don't don't know about the entertainment industry and that i would actually like people in the entertainment industry to think about more is community 
You know, I don't think we talk about enough that we need to support and help each other more. Yeah. There's this sort of stigma of like people when they are out of work for a while, being afraid to to call the people they know and simply say, "Hey, I need a job." Yeah. Can you can you write me a role? Can you yeah. can you, you know, see if there's somebody who will hire me as a UPM or a That's makeup artist or, and and there's this like uh, and, and I've asked my managers or agents, I'm like, guys, I'm like, it's been like, I need, can you just like, can we call like somebody and just be like, Hey, you loved Balfour. Yeah. Can you give him a job? And everyone's like, no, you can't do that. Like, you know, you'd proceed. You have to go through do- all these hoops of fire yeah. and jump through all these things yeah, yeah. first. Like, yeah. You, 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 they'll think you're desperate. And like, I I'm am <laughs> I'm telling you, but, but why? It's like, you know, in, in lots of other industries, you know, in, 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 People go like, "Hey, um, I need I need a job." Like, and and there are lots of industries where people go, "You know what? We're you know we we're hiring, yeah. and I need someone who can do this. Would you want to come do this? I can figure out a role for you here, you yeah. know, a job for you here. Um, we need someone to help, you know. And even as an actor, like, you know, there's so like it, it would be so easy to just say yes more often. Like, yeah, you got you know like. Yeah, wait, Dada's having a hard time? Yeah, let me write him something or write her something. Like, I could write them yeah. a three episode arc in my show or a, a part in my. Like, why, why don't we don't do that enough? I think there are people who do it really well, you know, and, and maybe I, I'm, I'm thinking too broadly, but I look at guys like Seth Rogen. Uh, I look at guys like Adam Sandler. Yeah. Who, who create these almost troops. Yeah, families. Families of their, you know, I mean, God, I, 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 I may be wrong. I like Rob Schneider and all, but I, I would imagine that Rob Schneider sends Adam Sandler <laughs> a big basket every year to say yeah. thank you to that dude. I mean, Adam Sandler always hooks that dude up, and and <laughs> it's it's cool. I love seeing that type of stuff, and I wish we saw more of it. Um, yeah. I think that's, that's a good I would, point. I would I would like people to know about our industry or and and for people in our industry to maybe hear. You know, there's a way we could all help each other out more often. Cuz again, we're not curing cancer. Right. You know? Well, and I also think it would take the stress off of off of so many people because so many people get all worked up and depressed and anxious and there's all this competition between each other when really if you come from a place of yes, if you come from a place of help, if you come from a place of generosity, there's there's so much less animosity between actors or between production facilities or you know, all these yeah. things it, it would release so much of that tension to say, "Hey man, I I want to I want to transition to do this other job from doing this. Like, you know me as this. I would like to do this other thing. Do you have something I can come yeah. work on? Yeah. And I think it would it would breed a more, a kinder community. Absolutely. You know, because I, I mean, like, I, I've, I've tried to convince my actor friends of this and, and some are more receptive than others. I'm like, look, if 10 of us get together who all like each other and we just sit down and write something for a role for each of us in this yeah. thing, we go pull our resources. We can make something really cool, and and that's that's how I think I would love to see people start to to collaborate more often. I mean, like I, I can't tell you how many projects I've developed where I'm like, 
there's not a role for anyone I know or love in this. Why am I even doing this? Like, so I, I really started shifting and trying to think about projects about in that way. Like I wanted the projects that I, I work on that I'm, you know, creating on my own to be mm-hmm. about things that are really personal to me and that I love and that be, I can, you know, hopefully create opportunities for the people that I care about. Um, and that was the two goals. I love that. And I love the fact that, I mean, I was an actor for years and years and for so long I felt, to your point earlier, like I felt less than, I felt like I had to cram myself into some kind of box. I had to fit something else, you know, like I was told I had to be all of these other things to be acceptable when really, like you just said, like if you write a role or someone, you know, you collaborate with someone that makes a part for you that is based around who you are rather than trying to force yourself into something that, that you're not. Yeah. It just makes, it makes for better work for everyone. It makes for a better production. It makes for better, you know, content. It it makes you a better performer. Like we're all trying to cram ourselves into these things that we don't fit into. Yeah. A hundred percent. I agree. So the other thing that you touched on a little bit, which was on my question list down the ways. Um, what's a lesson that you want Ollie to learn that you had to learn the hard way? Oh, fuck. So I, I so funny. I think about this one a lot. Um, <laughs> I'm sure. The one that, that, that is constantly hitting me and that I'm still trying to learn myself, but that I want Ollie to learn is I spent so much time waiting for something that I thought would define where I was in my life before I did something else. Mm. You know, I wasn't going to travel here until I went there on a job. Right. I wasn't going to go to do this thing until I'd accomplished this. And I, I, I kept waiting. And even in the more minutia of it, I, you know, would say like, well, I don't want to go out right now because I'm not working on anything and I feel like kind of like a loser and I don't really want to hang out with people and talk about the fact that I'm not working. Right, right, right. And then you put yourself into that cycle. Yeah. And so I, I, I found that I spent so much time talking about, I'm going to take this trip once I've done this or I'm going to do, and mm-hmm. what I, 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 and because of that, you spend so much time worrying. And I, what I want Ollie to learn is that, A, you are living your life right now. Every moment you are alive and breathing, you are living your life. And what you should be doing is that, going out and living it. Do not wait for X to happen so you can do Y. If you want to do something, do it. And that's why I tell you know other artists and actors, you want to act, write it, film it. You can, you can do it on your, you can do it with your fucking iPhone. There are lav mics that are Bluetooth initiated that will go to your iPhone. You can edit on a, on within a, you know, Adobe $39 a month subscription and edit your movie and you can do it all on your own with your friends. And so I, I want Ollie to, to, to live in his life every moment. And the other one part of that is I want him to understand that worrying about a problem will not change the outcome because mm-hmm. I do it so much. And I, I've spent so many nights not sleeping with anxiety filled, you know, my, filling my whole body. Cause I'm afraid of like, Oh, 
when am I going to work again? What if I run out of money in a you know? And I look, I've been very lucky, right? But I've managed to put myself in such anxiety and fear over something, going, oh, I've only got a year's left of money left. That's a long time. Mm-hmm. Lots of people are living paycheck to paycheck, but I'll I've built it up in some degrees in my mind, going like, oh yeah, I'm not going to work again for, and so I only have enough money to pay you know the the bills for for 12 more months, and then. Um, what am I going to do then? Right. I'm now worrying about something from twelve from twelve months from now. Right. You've created about, a problem that doesn't exist yet. Yeah, and, and instead of it doesn't mean that you don't have to get up every day and and solve the problems of your life, but I want him to know that worrying about what could happen and the unknown and the problems that don't exist yet aren't going to help him solve them, and they aren't going to change the outcome because inevitably. Whenever I look back at, you know, whether it be financial crises or health crises or work crises, after those things have come to pass, for better or worse, I realize all the time I spent sitting in a room alone going, no, I can't enjoy my friends or my family or the outdoors because I need to sit here and worry about this problem because that's the only way that I'm going to solve it. Right. Really did nothing. And I just missed out on on all those elements of my life. So those are those are the that is the lesson sort of A and B that I would really love all of you to to learn from my experience. I love that. I love that. I think that's that's very true, um, and very valuable, and kind of applies to to not only work and life and money, but like relationships yeah. and you know education and and what you want to do with your career, how you want to to move forward. It's all of those things that if I could get back all the hours that I spent worrying and crying about something that ended up not mattering, you know, I would have half my life left, you know? Yeah. What I also, what I, I respect so much about you and, and I know that you came through a long struggle of finding this in yourself. I want to know how has like mental health become a priority for you and how it's changed, like how you connect with other people. Um, you know, it's interesting. I, I definitely am still a work in progress because I, I'm not, I'm not, I, I, my wife will tell you and my mother will tell you and probably most of my friends will tell you, um, I don't have the best mental health. (laughs) Um, I am, I am, I am a worryaholic. Um, Mm -hmm. I, I don't always do a great job of expressing myself. I, I try to stay amenable and rational and reasonable to a flaw to the point where sometimes that ends up sort of coming out as a burst of anger and rage and and um, right. I blow up at things because I, I I instead of being able to confront them in the moment be like hey that really pisses me off or that really upsets me I try to be like yeah I understand and that's cool and and, and instead of just being a little more finding a little more balance in that I, I will I will bottle it and bottle it and then Right. You know, get in my car and you know want to smash into a wall. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I definitely I'm still working on all that. I think I I, I don't know that I I think I think that becoming aware of it both both in yourself and like realizing the struggle that other people are going through, like becoming just just taking yourself and your own emotions like a step out of the equation is, is one of the most valuable things for me that I've learned over the past, you know, few years is, is like you're talking about with your parents or, or, you know, holding, 
other people to a standard that's that's not that's your own brain right like yeah. taking yourself out of that and becoming self-aware of you know my issues their issues what makes people tick it just makes it calmer and clearer for me when I can like take myself out of it yeah, well that's certainly that's something you know and I I remember um I had somebody in my life who actually really was the the um uh catalyst for part of this was was starting to think about how other people were doing. You know, it's really easy to, you know, to see things from your viewpoint and from your perspective, but it, it really does change everything when when you know you start to go, well, how are you doing? Mm-hmm. You know, how I, and I wasn't always good at that. I was in a relationship with somebody who, you know, who said to me, like, dude, you are really shitty at asking me how I'm doing. I'm like, mm-hmm. fuck, am I? I'm like, I didn't even realize that. And I had to learn that. Um, and it, and it did, it, a, it really made life more interesting. Um, once I got outside of wanting to talk about me or my problems or even what I'm doing, I found that life was much more fun and a lot less, you know, and a lot easier by saying, well, tell me about you. Where are you from? What's going on with you? How are you? Um, it was so much more interesting mm-hmm. and it also allowed you to realize that, oh, maybe that person is being short today because there's something going on with them. Maybe they've got something they're not telling me that's going on in their life that's making them stressed out or, and, and, you know, it turns out everybody does. Everybody does. Like everybody everyone does. does, right? Everybody's like, I, I've had somebody, um, in my life every once in a while, they, they like to use the phrase, like, you have no idea how hard my life is. <laughs> and the, my response is usually, everybody's is. That doesn't give any of us the right to be shitty because we're all going through something, rich or poor. And, and don't get me wrong. There, there are those of us who are, are, have it easier and life is not as much of a struggle. That A, doesn't mean that your perspective and your reality isn't real. I mean, it's it's not fair for somebody with two broken legs to say to somebody who just broke their leg, oh, you don't know what pain is. The person with one broken leg is going through very real pain. It may not be technically as bad as having two broken legs, but nonetheless, it's not, you know, we don't have the right to be like, oh, well, you shouldn't be sad. You don't have the right to be sad. Your life is great. Everybody has their own things. And at the same time, sometimes it's really worth it to like check yourself and be like, oh, I'm going through this pandemic with my wife and my baby and we have a front yard to play in. And we, you know, mm-hmm. there are people who are inside of apartments with no balconies even maybe. And they don't have anyone in that apartment with them. They're alone. Yep. And they don't, you know, like, and they don't have enough money in the bank to go like, well, okay, I'm going to ride this out. No big deal. Like they're freaking out and can't get through to unemployment and can't get through to the PPP loan people. And mm-hmm. it's fucking terrifying. And and the more we, we kind of look around and, rem- and remind ourselves of all of those other perspectives, I don't know if it's so much important i don't know if it's so important that we like it makes us you know be grateful because that's that's fine too that's good but i think more importantly it's about being able to have empathy yeah for those 
you're struggling more because that's where I think it really actually makes a difference. I mean, it's great to be grateful. It's fine. It's wonderful um, to appreciate what you have. But gratitude, I feel like, in being externalized is really about having empathy. Yep. Because if you can be grateful for what you have, then you really need to empathize for the people who don't. Right. And it's not about discounting your own emotions or your own reactions. It's about including other people's emotions or reactions and validating them in addition. It's not like discounting, well, you can't feel this way, or I don't understand why you could feel this way. It's saying you have those emotions and you have a right to have them, even though I am not experiencing them with you. You know what I mean? Totally. Totally. Um, so I know nature is a big thing for me and, and for you as well. And the beach and Venice and, um, especially during all of these stressful times, what do you do to feel existential? What do you do to like self-soothe? Um, well, I, you know, honestly, I'm lucky. I have this, this beautiful little being who makes it so easy to, to get outside mm. of my own head and my own shit? Coconut. Yeah, well, yes, coconut too. <laughs> You're the best. Um, I love her. But between her and, and Oliver, I mean, there's not a lot of, you know, there's not a lot of room to not. I mean, like, you know, Aaron and I, my wife and I, you know, we can get on each other's nerves and I've definitely been a dick um, and I've gotten mad at her and, but it's hard to stay in some of that very long because you have this little beautiful being who just wants joy and attention and play. And mm-hmm. you can be grumpy and pissed off that you're losing, you know, jobs and there's, you know, you're worried about this, but then you just, for me, it's, it's playing with him. I mean, it's honestly, I'm so grateful. He has been the best medicine. And at the same time, Shout out to all the parents out there because having a uh, an infant in quarantine is knocking futs. Um, <laughs> they, they, there is no pause. There's no pause. They want they get yeah. up at. I mean, at least mine. He gets up at six, and he doesn't stop until seven thirty when he goes to bed. Ugh. And he just wants to rage all day, <laughs> um, which I love about him. But yeah. Yeah, there's no like, there's no, it's full send, full send all day. All day. Um, But yeah, so for me right now, honestly, like sitting out in the yard and him staring up at the trees and, you know, like that's been the best medicine ever. So I'm really grateful for that. What are you doing to stay creative and connected? And what do you do to feel productive during this, during this quarantine? Um, Well, so again, I, I defer to the dad thing. The parenting thing right now because it, it is pretty all-encompassing. It's very hard to do anything else when you don't have like a nanny or something helping. Like it's you, yeah. you need your attention. School day. or yeah, yeah. time to it go anywhere like, else. Especially with a one and a half year old, like even if he wants like wanted to watch a movie, like that only holds his attention for like 15, 20 minutes. Um Right, right. But um what's interesting is I I I I've I've sort of made this joke a couple times, but you know to all the people who like are busting on everybody, like if you don't come out of quarantine with a new skill or your screenplay right. written or your da da da, like you are failing at quarantine life. I'm like, you clearly do not have children, right? Did. But, <laughs> but that being said, you know, like, um, 
at first when this all happened, I, I wasn't feeling very creative at all. I was like, dude, this is fucked up. I want to, I want to be close to my family. I don't really want to, I don't know. I don't really, I don't know. I don't have anything at the moment. Um, but slowly but surely, it's interesting because again, my perspective now has changed a lot in many ways at becoming a father. I used to be not more creative. I used to be more hungry to just create for the sake of creation. Mm-hmm. I would develop projects with all these different people and all these different genres and just, just throwing shit against the wall. I'm now much more picky because I don't really care. Not, not I don't care. I don't have the time. I value my time with, with Oliver so much that if I'm going to spend mm-hmm. time doing something else, it really has to be something that I am like obsessed with. And so I do have a couple of projects like that that I am obsessed with um, and that we were working very hard. And so I, you know, we're writing those and talking about those. And But honestly, like creativity um, has been a lot about, you know, trying to figure out ways to entertain a, a, a 20-month-old. Um, right. That's, that's this, <laughs> that is one of the most creative things I've ever done because, you know, we're, again, we're really lucky. We have a yard for him to play in, but... You know, uh, the plastic slide and the inside, uh, only interesting for so yeah, long. it's only interesting for so long. And then you're like, well, we can take a walk in the neighborhood, but walks in the neighborhood can be stressful because I don't want him touching everything that he wants to touch. Right. Um, so creativity has spent a lot of time figuring out how to keep him happy. Um, and then you know, yeah. But yeah, I've just been really way more particular about what I That's put other energy into. That's good. Yeah. What are you looking forward to, uh, either when this is over or down the line? Well, what's on your bucket list? What I am looking forward to most is the inauguration of President Joe Biden <laughs> and Vice President Stacey Abrams, oh. Elizabeth Warren, who I don't think it will be her because I think we really need her in the Senate. Um, yeah. But whoever that badass woman who is going to be president in a few years, when when it's time for yes. Joe to hang up his uh, gloves, um, I'm excited about that, and I'm excited about getting out yes. and um, helping um, campaign for all of these senators and all of these states that are going to take back the Senate from these horrible, evil um, Republican senators. Yes. Um, so that's what I'm looking forward to. I love that. I love that. It's uh it's a scary time and well I mean it's a scary time for a lot of reasons but that's that's something I'm looking forward to as well. And to see kind of how this this whole pandemic changes uh politics. I think it's interesting to have watched this and seen how people's priorities shift. You know? Yeah, I think people are starting to realize what having a competent government means yeah. and how necessary it is. Because mm-hmm. you know that's the one of the things that I think people, you may not Joe Biden may not have been your first choice, and that's fine. But what I don't think people are considering is the the level of fundamental morons that came along with Donald Trump. Because yeah. Donald Trump is a moron. Right. You know, he, he literally got the bottom of the barrel in his cabinet, and it's only it's actually gotten worse over the last three years as he's fired people and they've quit and realized right. that it's unattainable to work with him. What we are going to get with Uncle Joe, you are going to get fucking 
Beto O'Rourke, yeah. Pete Buttigieg, who is one of the smartest motherfuckers on the planet. Right. You are going to get AOC. You are going to get, I mean, Andrew Yang. You're going to get yeah, all, all of them. them. Bernie, like everybody. You're going to have an administration and a government run by some of the the most sincere, smartest, progressive people on the planet who have a mission to make the world that we live in better. And I am so excited for that. I mean, it is like, I don't, I'm not a big comic book person, but I don't know what the ones with like the team of superheroes is. Right. Yeah. Um, But it is going to be a, it is going to be such a bad ass team of smart, progressive people who want to change the world that I'm excited. And, and I think Joe Biden understands that like Joe Biden's best asset is that he's smart enough to know. I don't need to know the answer. Yeah. I just need to find the smartest person who does. And I am just like a good director on a movie. Mm-hmm. I am happy to take credit for other people's good ideas. Yep. And he is willing to do that. Yeah. So I'll put, I'll put you in touch with who knows that answer. Uh, you know, as, as long as yeah. he can, facilitate that connection i think that's so much more valuable than somebody who just talks out their ass and tries to make make up information as they go along yeah and convince people that they should you know ingest bleach (laughs) drink clorox (laughs) i can't all right man i lovely i'm excited for that as well um where can people find you what can i help you uh connect or create Uh, or do so um, we have a couple more episodes this season of Charmed left um, uh, Fridays at eight on the CW. You should be watching Charmed. Cool. And then my new show will air on Netflix uh, someday when we get back to work. <laughs> um, which is called Country Comfort, and it stars Catherine McPhee, and it's awesome, and I can't wait for people to see it. Oh, nice. Um, and then if you're really bored and you want to hang out with me on Friday nights, I'm actually doing an an IG live show every Friday night at 8 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And it's kind of a um, a call-in advice show. Ooh. And you can tune in live, and I will pick people at random um, to answer their questions and give them advice on whatever topic they want. Um, and I am not screening the people that I'm inviting in at all. <laughs> so it's totally off the cuff. And you never know what you're going to get, uh, it, which is ultimately – really stupid and dangerous exciting and dangerous kind of <laughs> and, and it's kind of exciting um yeah. so yeah tune into my ig live at eric balfour on friday nights at eight and um come spend uh you know an hour with me awesome well i've enjoyed spending this hour with you thanks for chatting absolutely my friend um i'm glad that we got we got to actually connect finally even if it took a pandemic to do it i know finally but yeah you know it's it's fine one of these days we'll see each other in person again yeah in the meantime we hugs We hugs. Aw, isn't he the best? Hope you guys enjoyed my chat with Eric Balfour. You can find out more information and links on breecube.com backslash breesearch. Follow us on Instagram at breesearch and like, subscribe, rate, all the things on all the podcast platforms. And I will see you guys next time. Peace.